0: In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. If you're keen on the church calendar, then you know that today marks the new year. And if you didn't know that, don't worry because I didn't either before I went to seminary. <laughs> Yet here we are at the beginning of Advent at the new year finding ourselves reading and hearing about the end of the story. And it may feel like this season should be preparing us for Christmas or for Jesus' birthday. However, the Advent season is about so much more than that. It's about anticipation. The anticipation of both God and the incarnation of Jesus, and the anticipation of the coming of God's kingdom. So in our preparation for Christmas, let us not relegate Christ or the kingdom to just an afterthought. Today, we're also celebrating a baptism, the baptism of Dean Patrick Gilbert, and we'll recognize the invitation of God's grace and the work of the Holy Spirit that calls us into the life of Jesus. And so if we begin first at the incarnational story, we find in the darkness of night in a foreign land, in a dirty stable surrounded by animals, With no one around but a humble father and a young and unmarried mother, the baby Jesus. An infant child, the God of the universe in flesh. Accepting the vulnerability, the weakness, the humility of humanity, God enters into the world and Jesus into a world where there is no room in the inn. So the story begins in a place without room and ends in a kingdom where room will be endless. God humbly steps out of the place of privilege, out of superiority, power, and possession into the human experience. Jesus feels human temptation, human emotion. He feels pain. Jesus lives, and he sees, and he breathes in his humanity. Jesus loves those he meets. He cries when his friends die. And his heart is broken open for all of us in God's ultimate act of revelation and power that takes place in one of sympathy and sacrifice. Jesus lives at the margins. He shares in suffering and is with people even to the point of his own death. And so God stands before all creation and says to those who stand before him, I will give my life and I will take life up again. And so what does it mean to stand before God? What does it mean to stand before the Son of Man that we hear echoed in Luke's gospel today? In our stories, many people stand before Christ, and we witness his response, a response of compassion and knowing, a response that rebukes evil and instead invites love. Jesus loved people. He taught people, healed people, listened to people. He met beggars and prostitutes, the disabled, the condemned, the oppressed, the sick, and the tortured, the sinner, and the human. He meets them where they are, validates who they are, and gives himself for them, for all. And so in Jesus, this human story becomes God's story In the incarnation we get a glimpse of that divine human relationship that takes place at a particular time in a particular life in Jesus Christ yet spans throughout all time. So therefore in Christ every heart is touched, life is renewed, hope is sustained, suffering embraced, and in his humanity Christ is the way and the truth and separation from the love of God is impossible. But not for Christ's own fulfillment, but for ours. And so the kingdom of God is given equally to all. Jesus' righteousness shows us that God's love is infinite. And so Christianity is that idea that was rooted in the life of Jesus appears as a gift, a gift for us all, a gift of hope, but especially a gift for the poor, for the weak and the struggling, for the broken and the grieving, for the forgotten and the lost. Now, whether Christianity as a religion has become a tool of power and dominance, whether its tenets have been twisted, whether it has been used for oppression or war or hatred, whether it has been used for injustice and fear, hypocrisy or evil, does not change the truth that in the life and the mind and the heart of Jesus Christ, evil has no dominion And the truth is that life and love and mercy and righteousness are abundant in God. And we see that in Christ. And so where Christ appears, all are welcome. And the story of Jesus is one of lowly. He is meek. Jesus doesn't own a home. He's not educated. He's not wealthy. He's not successful by our standards at all. Christ does not seek some material gain or leverage or power, and the gospel story certainly is not one of prosperity or of self fulfillment. It is one of love, it is one of sacrifice, sympathy, redemption, ultimate redemption. A story that stands against abuses, abuses, abuses of power, oppression, wickedness. And if we see the world around us as this place where the kingdom of God is meant to be, where the kingdom of God will be present in the coming, then we must encounter the people we meet today as God's own. And so if we encounter people as Jesus did, then it is for the glory of the kingdom alone. And that kingdom of God, that kingdom that is one of ultimate hope, it's one of ultimate hope beyond all of our conceptions, all of our imaginations, one that we can't really even begin to imagine And yet the world around us will weigh on our hearts with dissipation and worry that pulls us away from that kingdom, misleading us, offering us any replacement that it can find for God's hope. Our human structures, our cultures, our labels are intertwined with our projections of health and success, capability and worth. They dictate our lives. They dictate human life. They dictate every human life and have great and profound effect. We've created a society that lives for success, promotes individualism, while it weighs education and wealth and achievement and ability as the factors of one's worthiness. But if we listen to Paul, if we see what Paul has to say about community, we see that love abounds. We see for Paul people bring strength and joy and faithfulness to each other. Community is a place to seek and to find forgiveness. It's a place where people share in Christ, where people are worthy, they are equal, they are accepted, and that's the community that we strive for. And so in hard times, like we have experienced and like the one that we are experiencing, we need each other. In times of great division or injustice, we need to support and we must support one another. And so that community that Jesus invites us into, that community that Paul writes about, it's for all people. And so as we take a look around, we must see who is not already here and with joy and welcomeness invite them into the body of Christ. Because if we strive to realize the kingdom of God, we will see the body of Christ and we will find that that body of Christ is not an extracurricular activity that relies on the human virtues of politeness or niceness or comfort. It's not exclusive. It's not a group just for those who look, think, see, act, And believe what we do. It's not about power. It's not about wealth. It's not about success. It doesn't chase political control. It isn't about assimilation or nationalism. And it's not the service that is an object of our own enlightenment, self-actualization, or feel-good experiences. The people of the world are not charity cases for us to pick and to choose. Instead, the body of Christ is for and is of all people. It is living into authentic and life-changing relationship. It is love. It is sacrifices, acceptance. It is humility. It's offering ourselves now without discrimination, affirming the experiences of the people that we meet, radical hospitality. It is radical forgiveness that calls us to seek the lost, reconcile with our neighbor, sharing life today for the glory of the kingdom. In baptism, we join the church, we visibly recognize ourselves as this body of Christ. And in that covenant that we will recall in just a few moments, we will follow those who came before us, proclaiming to resist evil, proclaiming the good news of Christ to seek and to serve all people, to live for justice and for peace and for the human, the dignity of all human beings. And our identity is truly found as God's own. However, in our own world, our identities are rooted in contexts. They're rooted in our identities, our location, our experiences, our statuses. Our human flaws and limitations intertwine with these identities, and they make it impossible to fully see the world or God on our own. But when we remove expectation, when we remove limitation of human discernment or ideals or of knowledge... And we give room for that mystery, the mystery of God, that in only God, life can be truly seen and known. We affirm that God created, made worthy, and redeemed us and all people. All people bear the image of God, live authentically, and are fully known. And Jesus lives that truth out by being with people. And so we should be with people. Advent anticipates Christ, anticipates the reality of God's promises being fulfilled in the kingdom that is to come. And so the passing away that we hear in scripture does not cause fear. It doesn't invite us to lower our heads, but to find hope. In the witness of Christ's first coming, we prepare for his second. To see the signs, to see what is happening in the natural, the social, the political, the economic worlds, bearing witness to Christ as a people, as a church that seeks inclusion, equality, and acceptance. Christ challenges our norms, challenges all of our expectations, drives us into commitment, into relationship, into service, towards a complete and ultimate restoration of all creation. Yet for a lot of us, we spend our lives running away from feeling inadequate or weak, feeling useless or lonely or lost, and we might even run away from those in the, who the world sees that way so we can avoid that fate ourselves. We chase achievements and we despise failure. We want to be right. We want to seek validation from the world. We'll desperately cling to whatever it will give us. We seek to earn our place, but the truth is, is that nothing the world gives us sustains us. Nothing the world gives us surpasses the test of time. But in God, all is given, and nothing is earned. We don't earn God's favor, not with our works, not with giving our money, not with following the rules, or believing this or that, or these certain tenets. But by in grace in Christ alone, our salvation is given. And so in Christ, there are no lowly, no poor no weak, and certainly no discarded. In Christ, all has been earned, all are rich, and all has been achieved for us in him. In Christ, death brought new life. In Christ's death, we are baptized. And in that baptism, we must die to ourselves and to this world. But in that death, we find freedom. We find new life. It is in Christ that we are given a lens to the kingdom to see the world and the people of God through it. So Christ does enter a world in which there is no room for him, a world where he finds no home. He was out of place in it, yet Christ chose to be in it. His place instead was found with those whom there was also no room, the rejected, the discredited, the denied, the tortured, and the exterminated. For those in this world who have experienced the most horrific things, that even in their imagination they cannot escape the horrors of this world, Christ is and always will be there. And so if the least, the ones that the world sees as the least, are fully redeemed and loved and met and received in Christ, then hope is truly given for all of us. And that hope is beyond all imagination and all conception or understanding, and it will endlessly draw us to Christ to witness that to each and every person that we meet. And so we know the world is full of people who have no home, people who need the hope of the kingdom just like we do. In our hearts and in our churches, will they find room? Will we bear witness to Christ's life, to his death, to his resurrection, Will we invite the kingdom of God here today?